This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Welcome to Jumping Bomb Audio. I'm Aaron Bentley. I'm joined, as always, by Taylor Mainberg. How are you, Taylor? Hi, I'm feeling a little bit like um, Icarus this week. After last episode, we were making a big talk about how Joshi was back, uh, back in full swing, lots of shows happening, and it really uh, swung around and hit me in the face this week with uh, a lot of shows being canceled. I thought you were going to tell me that you got a really bad back tattoo. And that's why you felt like Icarus. Oh, yes. A different Icarus. No, I have I have no tattoos. That's right. Um, What's that about? So, um, I what it's about is that I think I'm indecisive enough that if I got something, I would be, I would probably get it. And then a year later be like, well, I would have probably rather gotten this other thing. And also, I am slightly a wimp when it comes to pain. And I am a bit nervous about the pain of getting a tattoo. Those are, those are sort of the two basic facts. Also for people who have met me in real life, I sort of do have a tattoo um, because in sixth grade, I was stabbed in the face with a pencil. Um, (laughs) What? Yes. (laughs) I've Uh, met you in real life. I didn't know this. Well, it's a funny story because uh, I was stabbed in the face. Uh, I went to the doctor. The doctor said, Oh, don't worry. It'll all heal. It will all go away. Um, but it left remnants of graphite under my skin. Um, and when I was younger, it was quite big. So what I did is I went to a tattoo removal um, place. It, it was actually a doctor's office where they can remove tattoos, but they used the tattoo removal gun to lighten up the graphite in my face. So it's it's sort of less noticeable now than it was probably 10 years ago. Um, but if you look really close, it is there right under my right eye. It's a it's a little blue smudge. I've had people come up to me uh, and they're like, oh, you have something on your face. And I'm like, no, it's um, graphite under my skin from when I was stabbed in the face with a pencil. <laughs> well, I did. I did not notice, Taylor, uh, the, the multiple times we've met. So I wasn't aware. Um, I mean, was this like horse playing or, or like what happened here? So the the if actual you want to talk about it. Yes, can, the actual story is a little bit embarrassing because it sort of turns on me where I was holding a pencil um in my in my hand sort of point up. I don't remember why I was holding the pencil at the time. I was probably getting ready to write something and someone tried to grab the pencil from me um as sort of a funny prank. Um and I, I fought back. I tried to grab it, and we were sort of going between, you know, back and forth. And I was yanking, and he, the 
kid who was fighting with me let go. And so the pencil went back into my face um, and stabbed me. We were in the middle of class. So I sat at my desk because I didn't realize it didn't really hurt. It was not painful. And then I reached up at one point and I touched my face and I had a lot of blood on my face. Uh, So I went to the front of the class and I said, oh, can I go to the bathroom? I'm bleeding quite a lot. My teacher reacted in horror. Uh, and then she was like, no, you need to go to the nurse. I went to the nurse. Then I went home. I went to the doctor. The doctor, you know, as I said, said, oh, it'll be all fine. It'll go away and there will be no problem, uh, which was a lie. So um, so it's a little bit of an embarrassing story because I sort of in the at the end of the day stabbed myself in the face um, because the sure. other kid let go and, and the momentum um, brought it in the face. I'm just glad I didn't poke my eye out to be quite honest, because it's quite close to my, to my actual eye. So I was, I was pretty lucky. And now I have a sort of a funny, cool story to tell. Yeah. I was uh, goofing off with my cousin with uh, BB guns and I shot him in the face accidentally right under the eye in like a very similar place to what you're talking about. And he has like a, a BB still like stuck in his, in his face, I guess. Uh, but yeah, very close to blinding him. So I can sympathize with this story. Now, when you say you were, how does that, how does that happen? You were like, you were thinking the gun wasn't loaded and you went to pretend to shoot him in the face. What happened there? Uh, no, I knew it was loaded. We were just like goofing off and kind of like, we were pretty young and we were like twirling around or like, you know, waving the gun around or whatever. And I just kind of swung it through and, uh, you know, somehow I, I pulled the trigger. Didn't intend to do that. And, uh, you know, here a little gun safety tip, folks. Keep that finger off the trigger if you don't want to shoot it. And, uh, yeah, I just, as I was, like, swinging it through, I shot it. And it was just uh, pure bad luck that it went right almost in his eye. Wow. Yes, but I, and I can sympathize with you that good thing it didn't go in the eye. I think about that all the time that I... You know, if it would have been six inches up, I would have maybe gone through my entire life wearing an eye patch. That would have been uh, quite a quite a thing to happen. Yes, that would have been very different. I think also a lot about if I had blinded my cousin, that probably (laughs) would have had a large impact, obviously on his life, but also on mine. So that probably would have been bad. Yeah, what a what what a start to this episode. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, If you if you want more stories like that. You can follow us on Twitter at Audio. I'm at Aaron Like the Car. Taylor is at Tay Mambo. We don't actually talk about anything like that on our Twitter accounts, but go follow us anyway. Subscribe to the show, please. Get these shows as soon as they come out, almost always on Monday mornings or, you know, Monday sometime. Give us a five-star rating and review if you use the Apple Podcast app so that other Joshi fans can find this podcast. And if you'd like to support the show, Financially, you can do so by going to redcircle.com slash shows slash jumping dash bomb dash audio and throw us a little donation. We're going to talk about COVID, unfortunately, on this show. We're going to talk about a lot of news. Uh, we'll, we'll set out where the five-star Grand Prix is, even with the delay. Same for the Princess Cup. And then we're going to talk, uh, you know, not in full detail about a lot of shows that have happened over the past two weeks. And then, of course, we'll let you know what's coming up over the next two weeks before our next show. 
But unfortunately, I think the place to start is COVID. We thought that this would be a huge show. We were we were talking in DM about, gosh, you know, how are we going to fit all this stuff, all these shows? I was, for once in my life, I was like ahead on watching the show that I was watching the Princess Cup, like as it was happening, so I could stay on top of things. And then uh, everything stopped. So you want to talk some about uh, the shows that got canceled, Taylor? Yeah, so there were sort of two... Um... Well, two or three, I guess, sort of COVID events. The The first one was what we talked about on the last episode, which was Yuki Miyazaki uh, from Pro Wrestling Wave tested positive. That affected Pro Wrestling Wave um, and a couple other things from a couple weeks ago. The sort of last remnant of that was Seedling had a show scheduled for August 11th. Um, and a few days before the show, they announced that a number of the of the wrestlers who had been on that wave show with Yuki uh, Miyazaki would not be on the show. They said, we will announce an updated card soon. And I think about a day before the show, or maybe even less, maybe the day of the show, I don't remember the exact timing. They canceled the show. I'm sure that it was probably difficult for them on very short notice to find, I think five wrestlers to come work the show, especially because so many people were affected by that, original event. So that was sort of the conclusion of the first um, sort of COVID activity. Then the second was uh, Stardom announcing that someone, they sort of had a two-part um, event. They announced right before the August 15th show that someone had tested positive, so they canceled that show. And then earlier this week, they announced that someone else had tested positive so they canceled this weekend shows, uh, the 22nd and the 23rd, as well as the shows next weekend on the 29th and the 30th. And finally, uh, Tokyo Joshi ran their August 15th show. They were scheduled to have a show on August 16th, which was canceled because someone involved. Um, I don't remember if they tested positive or if they had symptoms and they were being cautious. Um, but the August 16th show, which was another uh, Tokyo Princess Cup show, was canceled, as well as this weekend's August 22nd show. And just a few other things, like Mio Shirai um, did miss a few Ice Ribbon events, I believe. She's married to Tank Nagai, who wrestles in 2AW, uh, and there, there was uh, COVID stuff there. So just out of caution, she um, did not ref a couple events, but that is sort of everything that went down. So a, a, a bunch of shows and a bunch of, frankly, the bigger sort of the bigger shows with those five-star Grand Prix shows getting canceled and that Tokyo Princess Cup show getting canceled. Yeah. And those big Yokohama shows that stardom was yeah. doing. I, you really have to think that that screws up a lot of their planning as far as it seemed like they had some interesting things set for those shows and they were kind of, kind of set up things that would happen the rest of the year. And now I don't know how they will handle that. So we will see. Uh, yeah, but we, we don't know that stardom has said they're not coming back until uh, the first of September, or, you know, sometime around uh, the first of September, they had shows set for September 5th and 6th, which we'll talk about later. Don't know if those will be the first shows or if they're going to try to squeeze something else in. Don't know how they're going to fit in the stuff that they've missed. Uh, Kind of same for Tokyo Joshi. We really don't know. They have the 829 show set for Shinjuku Face, 
was it Shinjuku face? Did I make that up? Yeah, uh, it is. It is Shinjuku face. Yeah, that was supposed to have the Princess Cup finals. So now we kind of don't know what they're going to do to for the semifinals and the finals. But hopefully, we'll find out soon. Yeah, hope, hopefully, when when Stardom initially announced just that eight fifteen show, I think that um, the fifteen show was only scheduled to have, I think, maybe three or four. Um, five-star matches. So I figured they would just sort of spread those out amongst the future shows because some shows um, ahead of them only had, you know, maybe five uh, five-star matches. So maybe they would throw an extra one on each card. But now that they've canceled three, because the 15th, the 29th, and the 30th were all five-star shows, they have quite a number of matches to make up. I think over um, at over 10 at least, if not maybe closer to 15. Uh, so it's going to be interesting to see where they make them up because now it's not as easy as just throwing a match on a future card. There's also some other things that have been moving around because of all this. Uh, Hero A retirement is going to be at Corquin Hall on September 18th now. Yes, the... Seemingly, Hero A might never retire at the at the rate it's <laughs> happening now. She was originally scheduled to retire. Uh, everything shut down. Then it was moved to the um, August Corican Hall show, and then Yuki Miyazaki had uh, contracted COVID, and so that Corican Hall show was canceled. And so they're going to try again next month. Fingers crossed. Um, you know, hate to lose Hero A, but if she wants to retire, I hope that the retirement match can actually happen um, and she can have a good send-off at Corican Hall like she deserves. So fingers crossed for that. Fingers crossed for all of Joshi that everything that we talk about on the show, because there's a lot of really exciting stuff coming up, um, that we all get to see it when it's scheduled to happen. Yeah, a few news items about things that are actually supposed to happen. We have Saray returning to Diana. And also, she's going to be wrestling in Just Tap Out. Yeah, so last last time we talked about that she had announced that WWE was allowing her to wrestle while she sort of waits in limbo to go to the United States. There was a question of what she would do. Obviously, she came from Diana, so it makes sense that she would go back there. Um, Just Tap Out is an interesting one. I think that there was um, some sort of underground talk or buzz or something that um, Taka might be involved in the rumored NXT Japan. And of course he's involved in just tap out. So that might be the connection there. Um, But it will be interesting to see Diana just tap out to see if she works anywhere else. Supposedly she's been told she can work anywhere. So she had that match scheduled for stardom. Uh, against Mayu, that never happened. It'll be interesting to see if that comes around, especially um, with stardom schedule so up in the air. But it will be interesting to see. But glad to have her back in Joshi for, I guess, the unknown amount of time that she'll be here until she can get to the United States. Yeah, I was also going to say, you know, Taka obviously has the the stardom tie. So that uh, kind of makes it more likely to be that maybe she ends up doing that match during this little weird time for her. Yeah, I, you know, it's sort of, it's, it's difficult to, 
sort of get a read on the situation just because it's so sort of bizarre. It seems very on WWE like to say, sure, you can go wrestle anywhere. Uh, that seems very much not their MO ever um, and not something I would think. So it'll be interesting to see. Maybe Sari just wants to, you know, wrestle small shows or wrestle every once in a while. Um, so we'll see. Yeah, I'm, I'm interested. I kind of wonder if, if she's going, if there's, if this is falling apart. Well, it's funny because um, Ikamanjiro was rumored to have the have a WWE contract too, and when this all went down, he just sort of went back to wrestling. I mean, he's in the All Japan Champion Carnival, and there was no this sort of situation that's happening with Sari, where they're like, she is allowed to wrestle while she waits, didn't happen with him. So I'm thinking that maybe she does still have a contract. And I know that she does a lot of stuff on, I think, um, Japanese TV talking about WWE. She's sort of a representative of them. So maybe they're happy enough sort of having her do that in the meantime, be a representative of the company, do things for them that aren't necessarily wrestling while she waits, whereas maybe with Jiro, they were like, well, we're we're good for now, so just go back and maybe we'll bring you back, you know, later. But just the fact that those two situations seem so different to me indicates that she probably, the fact that they made a big deal about, oh, WWE is allowing her to do this, she can do it for however long until she returns. And I think on the upcoming Diana show, She's being advertised as WWE wrestler Sari. Um, so I think there's probably something still there. That doesn't mean it's guaranteed to happen if this goes on another six months or however long. But I think there is at least still a little bit of a connection there. One other thing that has been announced as a plan to happen. Tokyo Joshi Pro announced today when we recorded, which is Saturday, that on November 7th, they're going to run Wrestle Princess at Tokyo Dome City Hall. They're calling it their biggest show ever. Yes, Tokyo Dome City Hall is not a um, a venue that's too often run. I think the capacity is somewhere with standing room, I think somewhere around 3,000. Um, I don't know exactly what it is for wrestling because it probably changes depending on the setup, but it definitely is a little bit bigger than Korokin Hall. So definitely Tokyo Joshi's biggest show. It'll be interesting to see what they put on that show. If they have people, special guests coming in, uh, if they have any involvement with the other brands, you know, maybe a DDT offer match or something like that, but looking forward to it. Always like uh, hearing that, you know, companies and promotions are running their biggest shows growing. Always better to hear companies are growing rather than Okay, that's basically the news items. Even though Five Star and the Princess Cup kind of got put on hold, I think we should talk about those off the top, where they stand, and what's been going on in those. I think those are the, the biggest events happening in the Joshi world right now. So let's start with Stardom's Five Star Grand Prix. Of course, they've only had two shows so far. Those were the August 8th and August 9th shows. So they're a little outdated, but... Uh, the, the standings, of course, are going to be important going forward. So let's start with the Red Stars block. And here's the breakdown. 
Himeka is on top of the block with four points. Uh, Mayu Iwatani, Starlight Kid, Tom Nakano, Konami, and Julia all tied at two points. And Death Yamasan and Sayaka Mitani at the bottom stuck on zero points. What do you think about Himeka being on top of this block so far? Uh, I think it's interesting. As we talked about last time, I think that she's someone who could probably use the benefit of a little bit of a boost from this um, from this type of tournament without having to win it, that she could do very well, you know, get a boost in terms of um, how people view her. I don't see her really as a as a winner yet, just because she's so new in the company. She's still sort of establishing herself, but it is sort of a good way to say, hey, she's, you know, she's here to stay. She is a threat. You know, obviously her her first, um, you know, one of her first matches against Julia, her stablemate, was a very interesting to see her win that match. So, you know, I think it's interesting. Not a, not a total surprise, especially when you sort of look at the rest of the block. You sort of say, well, Death Yamasan probably isn't going to get a great Push Saya's sort of on the young side. Obviously, Mayu is always a threat. Starlight Kid, is she too young? You know, it's sort of a Mayu, Julia, Himika block for me, um, as opposed to the other block, which we'll talk about in a second, which I think has a few more possible contenders in it. Yeah, as I saw Himika beat Julia, it really occurred to me that Himeka makes a lot of sense as a finalist and where she can lose to who, who I think is going to be with Tommy in the other block. But I think that is like a, a good spot for her. And you can also start setting up a, a longer term feud maybe with, with her and Utami. And you don't really hurt her. In fact, I think you elevate her by getting her all the way to the finals. In the blue block, we have the aforementioned Utami on top, tied with Micah and Shuri all at four points. Mama Watanabe and Azumi are on two points. And Saya Ida, Natsuko Tora, and Jungle Kiona all on zero points. Of course. Um, so <laughs> I guess my thing that sticks out here is, and I guess we can have a talk about this, is I guess, Aaron, what do you think about Micah? Where's, where's, where do you fall on Micah right now? As far as what? As far as your whole, what you think of her as a wrestler, the whole thing. Like if I said, oh, she's at the top of the block with Utami and Shiri at four points, what's sort of your reaction to this? Because I feel, to me, Micah's obviously very young. We've talked about this before. She has very few matches, and I think she is improving in the ring, but to me she has absolutely no personality. Uh, to me she's a total blank slate. Like you, Like Himika on the other side is at four points on the top of her block, but to me, she's, you know, a good wrestler who's improving. And she already has a personality that you can tell. She's sort of this sarcastic, you know, sort of bully character. But with Micah, it always just sort of feels like I'm a person who wrestles. My personality is I'm a wrestler. And I just don't, I feel like I don't know anything about her. So I find it hard to connect with her matches. I think that's fair. She doesn't have a ton of personality so far. She's just like a judoka who is like tough. You know, she's got that going for her. But I mean, I think especially for her, her experience level, I think she's very good as a wrestler, like based on where you would expect her to be with that level of experience. 
she's honestly one of the people I enjoy watching most in the promotion. <laughs> so it's funny to hear you say that uh, because I really enjoy her matches. I think she kind of just has ended up here and it's like in suspended animation because of COVID. But, you know, they're clearly working some sort of thing with, with Micah and Momo. So she beats Momo on night one. And, you know, I think that's going to be a long-term issue between the two of them. And then they're also doing this other story that has to do with Dona Del Mondo getting a lot of wins at the top of the, at the beginning of the block so that they could have this story where Julia is like the first one who loses. So I think she kind of just benefited from that. I don't really anticipate seeing her uh, being on top of the block at the end. I mean, in fact, I could see her losing basically every other match. She might pick up one or two more wins, but you could you could imagine her. Well, she can't pick up one or two. I mean, she can't be on eight points. You know, I could see her finishing on six maybe. Um, but yeah, I think it's just, it just kind of happened for her. I don't think it, we should really take anything from it at this point. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that. It's just, you know, it is, you look at them and you look at the standings, I should say. And, you know, it is, a, it is a little surprising to me. I, I think also not, you know, Donna Del Mundo has been bringing in this great talent. And I think, you know, when it started with her, you know, she came in, she sort of had the opportunity and then Siri came in and she sort of moves down a peg and then Himika comes in and she moves down another peg. And I don't know, she just, to me, the rest of the group is much more interesting to me than she is. Hmm. I, I don't think I agree with that. I mean, I, I think being at the bottom of that group of four is like a good spot for her. So she doesn't get overexposed. She can work mostly in tags and uh, trios matches and really continue to work on what she's doing. Uh, but she, she like fits in with the group really well, I think. I, I don't think she looks bad compared to uh, Shuri, who is obviously a lot better than her, but is a lot more experienced. I'm not sure that... I'm not sure Himika is like light years ahead of Micah in the ring. Uh, she certainly like has much more personality, although I think she kind of maybe has overdone it <laughs> to this point in, in stardom. Uh, but that's good. I mean, like you can, it's much easier to dial things down than it is to turn them up. So maybe that's, you know, a, a red flag for uh, Micah, but I don't think it's time to, you know, think of her as having failed or anything yet. I, I mean, I, I think, she strikes me as someone who's never going to be a star, but is going to be a very high level worker. Interesting. Well, I guess we'll, I guess we'll find out. Although you said that you did mention, Oh, she's in a position where she can be in tags and, and, you know, six people matches, although she's in this tournament, which is all singles matches. So well, yeah, that's true. I mean, that's, that's just part and parcel, I guess, but yeah, she just strikes right. me. It's like, I could see her to- topping out as like an Ishii level. Uh, person where she's like at the very top of the mid card and can be like a credible title challenger, but isn't anyone who would ever be a singles champion. That's kind of the, the high level ceiling I see for her. Right. But I like her a lot. Uh, The other thing here, I guess, well, you know, it's also kind of weird. Like Shuri, my, and my belief was that she was going to win her first three matches so that she could go into the Mayu challenge in Yokohama strong. She could lose that. And then she could frankly lose the rest of her matches. It wouldn't really matter. Uh, so, you know, that's all kind of the booking is all kind of screwed up because of the show cancellations. Then you have Kiona who 
I, she, you know, she's lost her first two matches. I still believe that there's this sliver. I know you don't like this, Taylor, but I could see her winning the rest of her matches and uh, being in play on the last night. It's, it isn't that I don't like it. It's that I don't believe in it. Which, <laughs> two, two slightly different things. Look, I would love for her to win. Look, I think she is going to come and win some matches here. I don't think she's going to end this tournament stuck on zero points. I think that that definitely won't happen. But, you know, I think she'll probably win. She'll probably beat the people who she obviously should beat, and she'll probably lose to the people... You know, if it's even a toss-up where you say, well, who could win, you know, whoever or Kiona, I think Kiona's taking the loss. You know, I don't think it's sort of, yes, not, I don't, I don't want to be a broken record. So I just think at this point, you know, people are waiting for something that that is not going to happen, as you just talked about. You know, some people have the ceiling and they're seen as, you know, this way. And I think it's natural for wrestling fans to think, Oh, this is someone I like. So at at some point, they'll keep going up because you want everyone. Oh, they're going to go up because you. I mean, at the end of the day, you want everyone you watch wrestling to become a huge star because that would be fun if you were watching a show full of, you know, stars that you love. But for some people, it doesn't happen. And I think Kiona now, at least to me personally, and again, not to sound like a broken record, has hit the point where it has turned from, oh, it's coming down the road to, oh, this is what it is now. And it's what it's going to be, which is that she's someone, she can always win a match, but she's probably not going to win very many matches because she's a she's a bigger name who you can beat. And you can say, oh, they beat Jungle Kiona, even though sort of looking at it large picture, it doesn't really mean anything because she doesn't win She's a, you know, big choke artist when it comes to singles title matches uh, where she's never won a singles title. So just to me, I see her probably finishing right in the middle of this block ahead of people, you know, ahead of obviously Ida, maybe ahead of Tora, but maybe not, maybe ahead of Azumi, um, you know, maybe close on the level with Micah but probably below Momo, below Tommy, probably below Shuri and things like that. So that's where she is for me is that she's a middle sort of mid card wrestler who can go up and down based on whatever the company needs her to do. Okay. Well, we'll see what happens with Kiona. I still have a little bit of hope, but let's see uh, how this all ends up. And once we find out, you know, when these matches are going to start happening again. So, Let's move on to Tokyo Joshi Pro's Princess Cup. We'll talk about the matches in more detail in a little bit, but I just kind of want to look at the top lines here. So our semifinals are set. Mizuki versus Maki Ito. Shoko Nakajima versus Miyu Yamashita. So they, they basically brought us all the stars here. Like all the biggest stars have ended up in the final four with uh, Yuka Sakazaki losing, which probably makes sense and just getting us down to these final four. Do you have any – are you surprised that these are the final four? No, not surprised. As you mentioned, these are sort of the bigger names in the company. I think it's pretty exciting uh, looking at this final four. You know, sometimes you get into tournaments like this and you sort of have at – at this point, 
in the tournament, you say, okay, well, the obvious final is X versus Y. Uh, but here I think all four of these wrestlers could win this match and then could go on to the finals and win. I think they're all sort of, they all have their, each have their own sort of interesting story. If they were to face Yuka Sakazaki for the title, I think there's easily a story that you could build around each of these that would be very interesting, would make for a good title match. I mean, you know, Mizuki and Yuka were in um, the Sugar Rabbits together, the tag champions together. I mean, Miyu, the former champion, the longtime champion, things like that. They all have interesting stories, so I'm very interested to see where it goes. It's sort of a funny thing where it's expected because uh, these are the big stars of the company, the bigger names, obviously minus one or two people. Um, but I think that makes it interesting because now it's anyone's game. Yeah, I don't really have, like, when I see these four, I'm like, yeah, these are the four. So I don't really have someone that I'm like, this person is obviously winning this tournament, which is what makes it good, you know, which is what makes it fun. I, as you said, I could see an, an argument for any of them. It would be kind of surprising to me to, if they go with Shoko, I guess it would be surprising for me to be for Shoko to, to beat her, to beat Yuka and just take the title back since that's kind of where this all came from to begin with. You'd kind of like to inject some new blood, I think, in the title picture. So that kind of points me toward someone in the in the other match uh, being the ultimate challenger for Yuka. Does that strike you the same way? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. Also, I know that I I think it was the DDT English Twitter um or it might have been the the official DDT Twitter. I don't remember which Twitter it was. Ran a ran a poll about who people thought would win um, out of this final four, and I believe Ito took it in a in a commanding way. I think she got thirty eight percent of the vote, uh, which is pretty high considering there were four options. So Ito's someone, um, obviously, who sort of floats around the top of the card. Always hasn't you know held that top title yet. But this could be the moment maybe they um, decide to do that. I don't know if anything, um, Aaron, maybe you know more if anything affects that. Obviously not going back now, but maybe Yuka, um, you know, drops the title to one of these four people and goes, you know, to be in AEW for a little while instead of going back and forth and having to be the champion. So having to go for a short amount of time and then fly back to do these shows as the champion, the Tokyo Joshi shows as champion. So I think there's a lot of interesting wrinkles here. It's all up in the air, which is very exciting as opposed to some tournaments where, you know, the winner is a foregone conclusion. And then you think, well, the winner is not beating the champion. So it doesn't really matter. I think any of the four could win and any of the four could become champion. Who do you think is the biggest star in Tokyo Joshi pro? Who do I think is the biggest star? Yes. I mean, I think it's Ito just because, you know, and some of it is sort of you look on Twitter and you see the timeline of, you know, the Twitter timeline. To me, the person who's broken through the most, now I don't know how, you know, the definitive answer in Japan, but the person who's broken through the most in the United States is definitely Ito uh, to me by far. I mean, Miyu is very well-liked, but she sort of has felt since she lost the championship that she sort of slid down sort of in a comfortable uh, 
sort of mid-card position as she waits for the next thing. You know, she had the feud with uh, Natsumi Maki, which was really great, but I think that that was more of a sort of hardcore fan because those matches were largely on shows, sort of their smaller shows. So to me, it's Ido. I think that she has the character. She has the personality. You know, she's always on Twitter saying this wild stuff that gets people talking and people are saying, oh, my God, can you believe she said this? So even more than just her wrestling, uh, which is very fun, she has that sort of secondary thing of, oh, I'm a fun personality on Twitter, and it's very easy to follow along and sort of enjoy her antics. I told my my Japanese tutor that there was this wrestler who seems to be learning English, but only through curse words. And she was like stunned by this. <laughs> she was like offended by, by the fact that it existed. <laughs> it's very funny. I do. I do wonder. Why would you do that? She said, well, if you want to uh, be able to curse at people and yeah, want to get over with American wrestling fans. That's what you do. Yeah. I do wonder how, um, I do wonder if she does it and she says, oh, I've learned these words. And then she's separately sort of learning English, you know, sort of regular English. And then she just goes on Twitter and she says, oh, I learned this word. You know, you learn a little bit of English and then you say, let's look up a word and I'll talk about it. You know, or if she just has an English that's just mainly composed of uh, curse (laughs) words. No, I think she said that she is also just learning English because she was talking about, I can't remember what the words were, but she was talking about two specific words and how, English words and how they're really hard for her to say, like to, to differentiate between the two words. And I thought that was interesting because my Japanese tutor was saying like bowl and ball are really hard for her as far as like saying them so that an English speaker can understand the difference when she tries to say them. And it was pretty similar of what Maki was saying. So I think uh, she's definitely trying to learn the language generally, but you know, like you do focusing on the fun words. Yeah, of course. You 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 always want to have fun when you're learning a when you're learning a new language. Yeah, I haven't learned any curse words. Uh and and based on my tutor's response to Maki Ito, I don't think I'm go I mean I can't just be like, "Can you teach me some curse words?" you know? Seems like it wouldn't go over that well. Yeah, seems like you might have to do some independent study on that one. <laughs> uh I was also, I mean, I, the reason I asked you was I was also thinking that Ido is the biggest star, but, you know, I was certainly, I'm certainly, my opinion on that is colored by the fact that I don't think there's any question that in the West, she's the biggest star from Tokyo Joshi Pro, even though, I mean, I guess there's obviously a good argument to be made for Yuka Sakazaki since she's been on American television and, you know, probably there could be more fans who are uh, aware of Yuka than of Maki, so... Uh, but in Japan, you know, I think they both get really big reactions. So I don't know. But my point was just it might be time to elevate Ito and put the title on her since she's already one of your biggest stars and just kind of go all the way with her. Yeah, I think she's not a, you know, I don't think anyone would disagree with this. I don't think that she, she's a, you know, A-plus wrestler. Like she doesn't have the in-ring skill that Miyu has. Uh, for example, who might be the best wrestler in the company. And I think that there was a thought, at least I was thinking this for a while, where she was sort of getting close to the top, but she wasn't sort of getting over that hump of being at the very, very top. And I think my thought for a long time was, oh, well, they're giving her time, you know, to let the wrestling catch up a little bit with the personality, which is obviously very big and has been very successful. And it might be at a point where, 
we're at the finished product now or pretty close to the finished product. So it might just be time to say, well, let's try this thing that we haven't done yet. You know, put her all the way at the top and see what happens. Um, so it could be that time. I think in my head, I was waiting for that moment when I said, okay, she had the great personnel and now she's a really great wrestler. But maybe, you know, it doesn't happen with everyone. Not everyone becomes the greatest wrestler in the world after X amount of time. So maybe it's time to give it a chance, see what happens. Um, you have a big show coming up. So see if Ito draws a lot and people really like her on top. And if, you know, they do, then she could headline that, you know, your biggest show in the company history. She's also very good at, at like the, uh, the stories or, you know, the getting you invested in her matches, even if it's not, you know, Miyu level work. So I, I don't think there's any reason why she can't be on top. Uh, even if she's not, you know, a super worker. Yeah. I don't mean to say that she's a bad wrestler. That isn't what I, it might sound that way, but that's not what I mean. But just in terms of, you know, we think of Miyu was so good. Yuka Sakazaki is, you know, really great in ring. So she's just not quite at that level, but she has a different connection with the fans and that connection might actually end up being more valuable than a wrestler who you know their best skill is in ring bell to bell something like that but you don't know and you don't know until you try and so i think we're now sort of at that point where let's give it a try and see what happens all right let's move into the spark notes section of the show no big shows to really do our, our normal in-depth show reviews that we do at this point in the show. So we're just going to kind of hit the highlights from several shows that have happened over the past couple of weeks. Taylor, where do you want to start? So let's start with Choco Pro. There's not too much to talk about this time. They've, they've sort of had, um, they haven't run as many shows as they usually have in the last two weeks because a lot of the attention was taken up with the um, Emmy Sakura 25th anniversary show it was a big show. Choco Pro's biggest show that they've ever had. Um, six matches. Usually they only have, you know, two or three matches on a show. They had six matches on this show. Uh, originally there were some. It was another show slightly affected by the COVID issues as Riho was originally scheduled to be on the show. And she pulled out in caution because she had wrestled in stardom. And Kaori Yonayama was the same way. She was going to wrestle in the main event against Emi Sakura. She pulled out as well because she wrestles in stardom. And so out of caution, she pulled out. But they still managed to put on a great show. Main event was Emi Sakura versus Hanako Nakamori from Pure J. Just a super... In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We hype ourselves up thinking, ah, maybe I can pull a Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card. But with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates... It's all just a shot in the dark until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view of all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now, when I buy Slab Packs at Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. I was able to open an Arena Club Slab Pack, and, and I'll be honest, it was a lot better than what you normally do. Say you go to a card show, and there's a random innocuous 
brown bag of cards and yeah you can open it and look it's gonna be junk you're you, you know what i mean like you know what you're probably gonna get in those maybe you find that fun and sometimes i do sometimes i like just opening up cards and saying oh, hey look at some random cards or whatever but if you're really in this game to to find value and find particular cards it sucks to have to buy these mystery packs and it ends up being you know almost nothing you know nothing of value not with arena club you can display, again, of all available cards, hit rates, grading, so you know that when you're opening up the slab pack, you are going to get something valuable. You are getting something good. And Arena Club, in addition to having those great slab packs we just talked about, is also a marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, displaying, all that sort of stuff. But those Arena Club slab packs, man, they are revolutionizing the repack game with transparency. After your polls are revealed, they'll immediately be placed in your vault for safekeeping or trading and selling, and you can have them officially graded by Arena Club as well. So again, setting these things off, it's going to be officially graded by Arena Club. And the Arena Club grading process is accurate, fast, and transparent with full grade rationale provided and explanation of how your card was scored. So whether you're buying, selling, trading, or displaying, Arena Club is the card collecting platform that you have to check out. So right now, I've got a special offer here for Voices of Wrestling Network listeners. You can get 10% off of your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Now, that's a crazy offer. That's 10% off a $400 slab pack. $40 off right there. 10% off your first purchase. No matter what that purchase is, 10% off. Off again, that's arena club.com slash VOW net, arena club.com slash VOW net for 10% off your first purchase on Arena Club. And we thank them for sponsoring the Voice of Wrestling Podcast Network. Fun show, really, um, really great to see after the show ended. They had some gifts for Emmy. Um, some videos from um, other wrestlers that she had worked with in the past that they showed, but just overall sort of an out of universe show for Chaco pro, which we talk about has these sort of elaborate storylines going on at all times, but it was sort of a step away to celebrate. Obviously one of Joshi's great talents, one of Joshi's great trainers, as you can see on this show with a lot of people that she trained um, taking part. So a really fun show, and then actually last night on Friday night they did Chuckle Pro Forty Two. Um, they had a rematch of a rematch of Saki and Mesaruga, which was really great. Uh, sort of starting again slow. It's season three, and usually when Chuckle Pro starts these seasons, they sort of start slow and they build to a climax. Uh, this one's a little bit weird because they built to the Emmy Sakura twenty fifth anniversary. And now it's sort of like season 3B, so it's going to start again slow and continue building to, I'm sure, another great climax. I've watched a little bit of the 25th anniversary show. I'm going to finish it, but a a show we're going to talk about in a minute, the Pure J show from August 10th, uh, basically destroyed every bit of happiness I've probably ever had in my life. And I tried to watch Choco Pro after it and was just incapable of enjoying anything. So I figured I'm just going to set this aside and, and come back to it. Uh, but I did really enjoy the the opening match with Kono and, and Lulu Pencil. Yes, Lulu Pencil has a great uh, sort of story going. She's, I think, currently her record stands. And actually, her first anniversary in wrestling is coming up this week on the 28th, 
they'll be doing a show there. We'll talk about that shortly. Uh, but I believe her record stands at one and 61 or something like that. Uh, and the one win was in a tag match where she didn't get the pinfall. She didn't score the pinfall. So she's never won a singles match. They've sort of been building up this idea of Lulu pencil winning a singles match for the first time ever. And every match that I see with Lulu in a, in a singles match, I think this is at some point in the match, I think this is the match he's going to win and it's going to be crazy. And then of course she loses again, but it's coming. I feel it in my bones that it's coming. Lulu pencil is going to win and it's going to be a, a crazy moment because it's going to be very exciting. Uh, and I'm, I am looking forward to it a lot to see that first elusive victory for Lulu Pencil. I forget who it was, but whoever had the tweet about Lulu Pencil being able to make you believe that she was about to tap out to being held upside down. (laughs) It was a very good tweet and also true. Yeah, she does a lot of things that I think looking from the outside, uh, people would say, you know, they might say, oh, this is ridiculous. This is comedy. You know, it's goofy. But she exists in such a sort of strange world of her own, sort of slightly still in the world of pro wrestling, but sort of slightly um, adrift from it, where all these sort of things happen. You know, her offense, if you were to look at it sort of in a vacuum, you would say, well, some of it sort of looks weak. You know, she has this sort of thrust that she does with her hands. Um, you know, she jumps off the top rope or jumps out the window, I should say, and sort of hops around, um, in this sort of strange manner. But when you're watching the matches and you're invested in sort of the story of this, you know, person who loves wrestling, but isn't the most skilled wrestler, um, there's just something about it that you transport. And all of a sudden the things that look ridiculous at the beginning, all of a sudden carry this sort of wild, you know, you're like, wow, she's going to hit this top rope move where she hops down and then hops on the person. Um, so, yes, it's been uh, – I can't believe it's only been one year with Lulu Pencil, to be to be quite honest, because it's been quite a journey. Yeah, the whole thing with Lulu is just that if you're willing to buy in, then you can enjoy it. Like, I can imagine dropping into a Lulu Pencil match and, and not understanding it and, and not liking it because you won't buy into it. but. If you're willing to accept the match for what it is, I think you can't help but really enjoy it because she's really good at what she's doing. It's just different from from what you normally expect for wrestling. Right. All right. Next up, the Tokyo Joshi Pro show from August 15th. We've already talked about kind of how uh, these matches ended up, but were there any matches you specifically wanted to talk about, Taylor? Um, not specifically, although the show on the 15th I thought was was out of the four um, Princess Cup shows by far the strongest. I thought it had a lot of really fun, nothing blow away, nothing you know, to run God of your way to see, but a super fun show. I thought all four of the Princess Cup matches were super fun, uh, really easy watches, great wrestlers. You know, we talk about how they have the big sort of four stars in the finals, but you know, in this, in the four matches on the 15th, you know, a lot of other people who are super talented and probably could have, you know, won and gotten through to the finals. You know, you're talking about Natsumi Maki, Hyper Masao, Miyu Watanabe, you know, all people who are also talented, 
And it's good to see Tokyo Joshi sort of growing this roster or this core of, you know, the top of their card to really build up the strength there to, you know, give more, you know, have more people who can challenge for a title and be credible threats, you know, so you can draw more people in for these big title matches. So I thought it was just a super fun show. Definitely check it out. The Tok- all, all four of the Tokyo Joshi shows were easy watches. They're, they're very short, um, usually under two hours. But the last one, I think, was the strongest of the four. I would agree with that. It also had my favorite match of the tournament so far, which was the Mizuki versus Yuki Aino match. I thought it was like very intense. There was a, you know urgency of really like trying to win the match. Uh, I thought Mizuki especially worked really hard, had uh, great fire in the match. They it just kind of like it felt like one big long closing stretch. It was just everything was. It was like they were on fire. You know, it's just like the only way to put the fire out was to was to win this match. And uh, so I th- thought it was really good. Uh, it was my favorite match so far. Uh, but there was also a lot of good stuff in the uh, Makito and Miyu match. Uh, all these matches, as you mentioned, there was like something in all of them uh, that was fun. But that Mizuki Aino match was my favorite one. All right, next up, Actress Girls from August 14th. Uh, I think we kind of both agree that the that the main event was, was the best part of this show. But uh, honestly, I liked the whole show pretty well. Yeah, I thought it was a really fun, easy watch. The main event I thought was really great, hard-hitting. Um, I went three and three quarters because I thought it was really great. Um, and I just love, I think the actress girls roster is, you know, maybe when we talk about, you know, what's the best rosters, I think sometimes they get underrated. You know, it was a little bit harder to see them for a while, uh, but now they're appearing more on Nico. They have their own streaming service. And I think you're able, more able to see up and down the card, really, because I thought all the matches were at least good if not better than good, just to see how many people they have that, you know, are good wrestlers, have fun personalities, are fun to watch, things like that. And you consider they lost Timika recently, you know, a while back they lost Natsumi Maki. So they've lost some bigger names. And for some companies, especially companies that aren't at the very top of the world of Joshi, that would hurt them. But I think that they've done a great job developing wrestlers coming up from the undercard, building up, building their skill, building their personality. So overall, I thought it was an an easy watch, um, a lot of fun with a great, really strong main event. They also lost Sauriano. They did. So, you know, maybe not like a top name that everybody thinks about, but another good worker who left. I agree with you about this roster. It's like this whole show, everything was fast paced, which I appreciate. Everything was crisp. Like I don't, there wasn't to me, there wasn't a bad wrestler on the show. Like everything that happened was worked to like maybe the level of what they were able to do, but it was always crisp. The action or the work was always crisp. And it just like a, a good show should it, um, you know, escalated or hit its, hit its peak. In the main event uh, with Kakeru Sekiguchi and Mika Aono defeating Misa Matsui and Miyuki Takase. Um, because this had the pace and the crispness that the rest of the show had. 
but you could just like visibly obviously tell these are some of the best workers in the promotion. And as you mentioned, Taylor, it was harder hitting than anything else on the show. I had written that it was on the brink of four stars. So I think I agree with you that it was probably a three and three quarter match. Uh, but certainly, certainly worth watching if you have uh, the time to check it out. Cause it was a lot of fun. Yeah. And it may, I don't know. Um, you know, I know actress girls started up their streaming service. They haven't, Obviously, because of everything's going on, they haven't had many shows to put on the service. So it's currently on Nico Pro for, I think, a few more weeks because it just went up recently. It went up yesterday, I believe. Uh, but I know that their last show that they had on Nico went up on their streaming service after it went down from Nico. So they may be uploading those. I haven't had a chance to watch the footage um, from the streaming service, but it may be a little bit better quality. Um, I know some people have issues with the streaming quality of Nico sometimes. So if you are sort of Nico adverse, I recommend checking out the Actress Girl streaming service. It's very well put together. It's easy to navigate. It's easy to sign up. So uh, check that out. All right. Next on our list uh, is Ice Ribbon. So what's been going on in Ice Ribbon? So Ice Ribbon had a series of shows at Ueno Park. Um, I believe it was nine shows over three days. We talked about them last time on the upcoming shows. They actually sort of had a clip, sort of a clip show put together of select matches and moments from all of their shows on Nico. Um, if you're looking for, you know, very serious, hard-hitting um, in-ring wrestling. This might not be the show for you. Uh, a lot of Ueno Park shows, not only for Ice Ribbon, but other promotions that run there, like Big Japan. Uh, these are sort of more fun, relaxed shows, sort of goofy stipulations. I know that Ice Ribbon was running matches where uh, wrestlers had to dress as one another, you know, come out in the gear of, you know, their opponents uh, a big chunk of the Nico show is taken up by the uh, first ever Fantast Ice title defense uh, by Risa Sarah against Akane Fujita. Uh, that match was a combined wrestling and baseball rules match. Uh, so they started, they did a little wrestling, and then they played a game of baseball in the aisles of Ueno Park. Uh, it was paused, and it actually it started on the first show of the series of shows, and it ended on the last show, I believe. So the official uh, defense time was 49 hours um, for that title match. They came back, and they ended up playing more baseball, but they also had matches where people were shooting super soakers at each other or throwing each other in pools or singing or things like that. So it's sort of more of a lighthearted a fun show. They have a couple matches, but nothing really too serious um, to watch. And Ice Ribbon also has a show tomorrow. It hasn't aired yet, but it will have aired by the time that this episode comes out. Um, Ice Ribbon 1065 in Skip City, highlighted by the semi-main, which is Tsukasa Fujimoto versus Siri. That should be a really great match that I'm looking forward to. And the main event is the 17-year-olds of the promotion taking on the older wrestlers, Suzu Suzuki, Ibuki Hoshi, and Asahi, taking on Sakushi, Hamako Hoshi, and Yappy. 
It appears that they're setting up possibly a title match between Suzu Suzuki and Sakushi, which I think would be a really great match. Um, but that should be a fun show. That will be going up on the Ice Ribbon Nico channel. All right, there was also a Diana show this week, which, you know, sadly, not yet the one that's going to have Saray on it. No, just another. They've been putting, they've been doing these shows every two weeks on Saturdays, putting them up on YouTube. They're very easy watches. This one uh, was highlighted by a main event three-way between the members of Crisis, Jaguar Yokota, uh, Ayako Sato, and Madeline. Um, a fun show. I think the total runtime of the entire show was 45 minutes. It was only a few matches, uh, but fun, easy to watch because it's on YouTube, easy to throw on and just watch through. And if you don't know anything about Diana, as we'll talk about soon, their next show coming up is a very big show with some very big names. So if you're looking to maybe get into Diana a little bit before watching that show, the 816 show, the 82 show, and their July shows are all up on their YouTube for free. They're all very short shows. They usually last around an hour. So you can go watch those, get familiar, get through them very quickly, and be ready for the big show at the end of the month. And now the show that broke my spirit, that ended my ability to have a good day, that made me want to just maybe stop watching wrestling forever. It was the Pure J August 10 show. Wow, coming out of the gate strong there. How am I going to... Uh... <laughs> Look, I'll say this. Um, was, it my, was it my favorite show of all time? No, certainly not. I will say that I did in some way enjoy the semi-main event, which was the Leon anniversary match featuring Aja Kong. And then the main event, which was uh, for the Pure J tag titles between Makoto and Moeka Haruhi against Hanako Nakamori and Rina Yamashita. Nothing to go out of your way to see. Nothing that's going to make a match of the year list at the end of the year, but two sort of fun, nice matches. I know as well, um, in addition, that Pure J reviews are going up on VoicesOfWrestling.com that you can check out. So if you are into Pure J or want to get into Pure J and want a little bit more information, you can go check those reviews out on Voices of Wrestling. But yeah, not, you know, I wasn't at the level that Aaron was. I didn't end the, I didn't have an existential crisis in the middle of watching the show. But as I said, nothing really to go out of your way for. Yeah, I mean, it's, I'm overplaying it, of course. It wasn't that it was awful. It was just uh, one of the, one of those things where it's like not good enough to keep my attention. So, you know, there's like a lot to watch. Why why would I spend my time watching something that's that boring? So, uh, Sendai Girls from August 2nd. Not as boring as Pure J, at least. Yes. Um, Aaron, I know that you're the, I guess there's only two of us here, but you're the Sendai Girls uh, fan on this um, on this podcast. Do you want to say anything about that show? Taylor, I did not watch the show. I'm going to be honest with you. Oh, okay. Uh, I am the Sendai Girls fan of the show, which is bad. <laughs> if I if I also didn't watch the show, uh, what happened was I looked at the uh, the card, and I just wasn't that excited about it. To be honest, you know, 
Well, I'll say that. Go ahead. I'll say this, Aaron. I did watch it, and I can confirm your suspicion. Not a bad show, but really nothing. I mean, a good show. They came back now that they're back running, and we'll talk about in a second. They have some sort of um, bigger shows coming up in the future, but nothing, um, nothing major to really write home about on the show. Okay, I think that is all of Spark Notes. So let's talk about what's coming up. I don't know what to say about Stardom. I don't know what matches they're going to run, so I, I guess we just won't talk about any of them. How's that? Oh, you don't want to talk about any of them? Should we talk about the ones that – well, I would assume this. I would okay. assume if they come back that they would at least – well – I was thinking as I said that, and I started doubting myself as I was saying the words, I don't think that they'll change the cards for 9-5 and 9-6, and then I realized they probably would. I would think they'll have to, right? Wouldn't you? I mean, the tournament should already have been booked out, so you really need to just do the matches in the order you were planning to do them. Right. I do wonder if they just move, if, for example, they say the 9-5 show, we're going to run the matches that were going to be on the 8-15 show. Because yeah, you can go ahead and throw in your next show because they only had, as you mentioned earlier, they only had four block matches on the 815 show. So you can like double up, I would imagine, or at least do a couple of extra matches. Yeah, or instead of match. doing five, do six. So then you get rid of one of them. Yeah. So, yeah, I guess you're right. They might have to run this. I mean, the big question is, is it all leading – to the same point, I guess, does it, I mean, I don't know because I don't know how this has been booked, but is it all leading to the same endpoint? So I guess it wouldn't really matter what order you do them in until of course you get to the last show, which would have to be, that would have to have the same card because you're probably going to have people who are tied or two ahead or something like that. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's sort it's sort of hard to say now that we have so many matches that have to be made up. Well, I might be a huge nerd, but to me it like really matters the the order that they go in because you've got like stories that you're telling throughout the tournament. So if you're somebody like me who watches every match of every show, it's like really important how the <laughs> how it all plays out over each show. So I don't know. Uh you know, it's just like what I was talking about earlier. If you I thought that Shuri would win her first three matches and then have a drop-off after the match with Mayu in Yokohama. Well, I mean, you can't really tell that story now anyway, but certainly if you start throwing the matches out of order, it's going to be it's going to be bizarre. Yeah, and of course, there's no, not to be pessimistic about it, but there's no guarantee either that 9-5 or 9-6 happen, and then you want, you know, or maybe they say, oh, we're going to run an extra show on September 2nd. I would imagine they're going to need to throw in an extra show. They had pretty big blocks of like time off. So I would imagine they're going to have to, you know, go to uh Shinkiba first ring or something for an extra show. Um, we'll see. I, I didn't do this plug earlier. I want to do this plug now because I should have said it earlier. If you want like uh, in-depth detailed breakdowns of every show over at patreon.com slash everything elite, I'm doing shows every day uh, that they actually put shows up on their, on their website on Stardom World. I'm doing audio. Every day they post a new show, a new match. Uh, so you can go check that out. Uh, $5 will get you all the daily audio shows of that. Uh, but yeah, as of now, we don't know. Here's what was set for the August 15th show. Blue Block, 
Shuri versus Micah, both on four points. So, you know, that would have obviously been interesting. Uh, Kiona versus Tora, and they were both on zero points. So, like, if Kiona loses that match, you can pretty much uh, close the close the book on her five-star. Uh, Momo versus Utami. Momo on two, Utami on four. Uh, to me, a really important match because Utami, I think, is the is the winner of the tournament. So you could see her beating Momo. But on the other hand, you know, Momo, if she's going to be a a player in the tournament, and as we talked about last episode, a lot of people have predicted her to win the tournament, then she pretty much has to win this match. So pretty fascinating. And then uh, in the red block, Death Yamasan and Saya Kamitani both on zero points, looking for their first win. Yeah, the Momo-Utami match is obviously the most interesting. I could see Momo winning because then you have one person at six points, which is the winner between Shuri and Micah, is going to be on six. And then you would have three people on four, which I think would make it interesting. I just, I think it would be tricky if Utami wins, then you have two people on six, a person on four, and then a bunch of, and then people on two. I just don't know how you would get Momo anywhere close to either of the people already on six when you've only got a few matches left. Right. The Your winner is going to, or I mean, if you win all your matches, you'd have 12 points, right? Does that make sense? Correct. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't think, I never thought Momo was a player in the tournament. So wouldn't surprise me if Utami wins. Uh, but, you know, and you could be just running that it's going to be Utami and Shuri, and I still think Kiona can go on a run and get herself in the mix. But um, yeah, I, I think the Momo Utami match says a lot about what's going to happen in the rest of the term. Yeah, I, I, I just ahead. oh, I just wonder oh. if so if Utami were to win, she would be at six. Someone else would be at six, but I think. You know, we talked about this, I think, in the first episode. The fact that Siri had that title opportunity originally in the middle of this means she seemed very unlikely to win. I think Micah seems very unlikely to win. So then all of a sudden you would have Utami at six and really the closest next logical contender at two, which would be Momo or maybe Jungle if she were to win, if she were to win that match. So I don't know. I just don't see a world in which Utami wins and goes so far ahead of Momo. Even if Momo's not going to win, I think they would want to keep her in the in the universe of she could win for as long as they can. That makes sense. I uh, just, I don't know. I'm like you with Kiona, I guess. I just don't want to get my hopes up about, <laughs> about Momo doing anything uh, in the tournament. Great to watch wrestling where we're beaten down. <laughs> <laughs> in, in submission about our favorite wrestlers. Well, the Momo thing is weird, right? Because they like pushed her to the moon as a 19 year old. And then new people bought the company and were like, eh, we really don't like her that much. And so like, I should just be able, I should just be watching her like continue to improve maybe and like watch her work her way up and maybe eventually she gets a title shot. But I've already seen her, set the record for title defenses, you know? So to me, she's like a top star and uh, the company doesn't view her that way anymore. So it's very disappointing. Whereas Kiona, like you would be beaten down by being a Kiona fan because they've never gone with her in any, in any real way. Uh, then when you look at the, the next set of matches that were set, you would have had Natsuko versus Micah, 
Kiona versus Azumi. So again, I think she could easily beat Natsuko and then beat Azumi. Uh, Death versus Himeka. So Himeka, you could see her being on six points pretty easily. Uh, Julia versus Konami. You get Julia back uh, back on track. And then Mayu versus Tall Saya. Get Mayu back on track a little bit too. So I don't know. Maybe they'll just uh, throw a lot of those matches together on one show. It helps that the 8.30 show that was canceled only had three matches on it. So you, I think pretty easily, they got three matches to make, or three shows to make up. One of them only had three matches. So you got six, 11, 14 matches. So you can do seven and seven, right? Yeah, or maybe they just move everything. Maybe they push the new shows to after 9-6, just to be cautious. And then you just move everything forward where the 8-15 show goes on the 9-5 show. Right. Uh, next show goes on nine six, and then you have the two extra shows before the finals. So they're later than they would have been, but they're between the nine six because I think after nine six, it's just the finals on the eighteenth. Um, so you have oh, sort no, of no, no, there, no. There's several more shows in between there. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. They they I... go and and it's weird because they go on nine six. They go to Sendai, and then nine twelve. They do a double shot in Fukuoka. And like a, a two shows that day, and then uh, an actual double shot because on nine thirteen they're in Fukuoka again, and then the finals on the nineteenth at Corican Hall. Yeah, but maybe you do between nine six and nine twelve. Maybe you throw an extra show. Maybe you put, you know, you make seven. You make these cards bigger than five. Maybe you make them six six. You yeah. do another show of six. And then maybe the 12 show, you add another match. So you sort of finagle them in there. If they're in Sendai on 9-6, do you think they come back to Tokyo before they head out to Fukuoka? Yeah, I guess that's... That makes it tough. I mean, but the other thing for me is putting them before 9-5. You've canceled the show on 8-30. So you've essentially said 8-30 is a no-go. So the rest of August, are you then saying, okay, September 1st, here we go. We're running a show again. Like that well, almost could. No, technically they could in technicality, yeah. but I'm just talking from a sort of safety viewpoint. Well, or I think like, the point, I think the point is that from 8.15 to 8.30 is two weeks. And so they want everybody to quarantine for two weeks. Right. So I, I think from a safety perspective, if everybody's tested negative, you can run on 9-1. Yeah, I, I think you certainly could. I just wonder if they think, okay, do we really want to say, okay, we're done. And the minute we're done, we're running a shit. Like maybe they put them on, maybe they put one on the third or something just to, yeah. to give a little bit of breathing room right after saying, okay, now we're done quarantining and we're going right back into a show. Yeah. Well, it's going to be tough, but they do have shows where they only had a few matches set. The Fukuoka night show only had three block matches on it. You know, you just, they're going to have to really push some some matches onto these other shows, I think. So we will see what happens with that. Um, Seedling on the 26th is running their fifth anniversary show. That's right. They have a big main event, a big non-title main event, Yoshiko and Hiroya Matsumoto against the best friends team of Arisa Nakajima and Tsukasa Fujimoto. As I said, that is non-title, but I think that there could maybe be a result there that might get to a title match um, and a bunch of other fun matches on the show. Actually, Arisa and Yoshiko will be 
wrestling in singles matches down the card. Uh, Marisa Nakajima will be wrestling you, and Yoshiko will be wrestling Ryo Mizunami. Those are 10-minute matches, so they're going to be quick. They probably uh, won't be full-out matches. Um, also, they're doing a three-way tag match in the semi-main event, Kaho Kobayashi and Ayame Sasamura against Makoto and Asuka, and Itsuki Aoki and Miyuki Takase. That sounds like it will be really fun, fast-paced. So really a, um, a fun-looking show celebrating their fifth anniversary. Sort of hard to believe that the company is already at five years of existence, but pretty exciting, doing a lot of fun things uh, and having, all things considered, a very good and fun 2020. Oz Academy is going to have their big Yokohama show on the 28th. Yeah, so the last Joshi show at Yokohama, uh, the next two days, there will be big Japan shows there that will have a ice ribbon offer match, but this will be the last Joshi company to run there. Some fun stuff in the undercard, including uh, Mitsuhisa Tsunabe, who is the current Pancrase flyweight champion, uh, will be teaming with... uh, Parts of Sekigun, Yumi Oka, and Maya Yukihi. Um, in the opening match, you also have Hiragi Kurumi from Ice Ribbon teaming with, uh, teaming with Asuka to take on Rina Yamashita and Itsuki Aoki. But the two big matches on the card is the first one is the semi-main event, an eight-person tag. And the official name of this match is the Super Fireworks Illumination eight-person tag. Barbed Wire Plasma Bomb Bat Deathmatch. So quite a mouthful, but um, if you haven't seen an Oz Academy Deathmatch at these Yokohama shows, they're a lot of fun, a lot going on, explosions, people running all over inside the ring, outside the ring. Uh, it will be the Mission K4 team of Kaho Kobayashi, Akino, and Sonoko Kato, and Kakaru Sekiguchi. Uh, taking on the Beast Friends team of Aja Kong, Hiroyo Matsumoto, Kaori Yonayama, and you. So that will be fun. A lot of people in that match. A lot of stuff will be going on. And then the main event, Mayumi Ozaki against Sayori Ano for the Oz Academy title. Uh, this is a big match. Both of them are members of Sekigun. Obviously, Mayumi Ozaki is the head of the group. Uh, and I think that the outcome of this match will tell a lot about what will happen in the future. You know, Sayori, as Aaron mentioned early in the show, left Actress Girls. There was some thought maybe she was going to stardom. Uh, So far, she hasn't done much. She stayed in Oz Academy. Maybe if she loses this match, she'll be kicked out of Sekigun and maybe out of Oz Academy to maybe show up somewhere else, maybe a stardom, maybe somewhere else. Or maybe she wins and she takes over the leadership of the group. Uh, a lot of sort of interesting possibilities um, and options there. So that's really their big show of the year in a venue that will be no longer by the end of the month. So that's a fun fun show to look forward to. I always recommend it, even if you're not a huge, if you don't watch Oz Academy or maybe you're not a huge Oz Academy fan, that show is always fun. It's a big deal. They always draw a big crowd, so it should be a lot of fun. On whose behalf is is police going to intervene in this match? 
So that's a that's a good question. That's another storyline we'll we'll have to see. Although you know, police and Mayumi Ozaki go way way back, so I'm assuming he might end up on that side. But but we'll see. I'm sure there will be a lot of chaos with a Sekigun versus Sekigun match. Uh, maybe even more chaos than there usually is in those Oz Academy matches, which is. If you've ever watched those matches, is really saying something because they are very chaotic. I know I can't wait. <laughs> I, I, I can't. I can't get a read on that. I can't get a read on that. Uh, but we will be um, as long. I think it should be on Samurai. It usually airs on Samurai. Um, we will definitely be covering that show on this show. Dude, we got a lot to talk about next week if all these shows happen. <laughs> Because we're not nearly done. Um, well, Tokyo Joshi Pro, we kind of already talked about. August 29th, supposed to be the Tokyo, uh, I'm sorry, the, the Princess Cup finals. Uh, but as you mentioned in the notes, maybe they'll just do both the semifinals and the finals on that show. Yeah, or I don't know. Maybe they put the finals on a later show. Although I was sort of looking at their schedule and I couldn't really find a natural show where that would be. I don't know. Um, we'll... Yeah, we'll have to wait and see, but I would imagine they'll do at least the two semifinal matches. And then we have, let's see, what's next? We've got uh, Sendai Girls. They're running a show on August 29th. A lot of shows on August 29th. Yeah, big day. Big, big day for Joshi. Uh, so if you remember many, many months ago before everything happened, uh, Sendai Girls was running a rookie tournament. They had run the first round of the tournament. Uh, Mesa Ruga uh, made it through to the second round, but she has dropped out of the tournament, I think, um, mostly due to safety concerns. You know, she's wrestling a lot in Chaco Pro, so she's doing a lot there. And I think just for safety, um, they she will not be continuing. So they are going to be holding a, a six-person tag to determine who will take her place in the second round, taking on Mei Hoshizuki, uh, the person who wins the fall, gets the fall, gets the pinfall, or gets the submission, will take her place. So pretty much everyone who lost in the first round is back. Maria, Akari, Yukioka, Hanori Hana, Anami, all those names. The person who gets the fall will be back in the tournament. Uh, and that show is also headlined by a a pretty fun-sounding match, uh, Chihiro Hashimoto and Yu versus Mako Satomura and Dash Chizako. So that should be a really fun match and a really fun show. Hopefully, I'm hoping that they upload it onto their YouTube channel. I will get back to my Sendai Girls ways and, and watch that show. It sounds good. And I missed the rookie tournament. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, nice it was rip. It was a thing I was excited for, and then right in the middle of it, everything went down, and it's sort of... I'm glad that they're still continuing with it instead of just bailing on it fully. So I don't know when the second round matches will be, but it's good to know that they're it's at least on their mind doing this um, replacement match. And you know, also one of the first things we ever talked about on this show. So That's right. Know, I'm, I'm uh, nostalgic, or I don't know if that's the right word, but whatever. I love it. I'm happy about it. Ice Ribbon, another company that's running on August 29th at Corquin. 
Yeah, they're doing a one-day tournament. They're bringing in a lot of outside talent, although some of this talent does appear pretty regularly in Ice Ribbon, like Ram Kaichao, uh, Makoto will be there, Akari, Rina Yamashita, Tehanma, Miko Ano, uh, Hiroe before she retires. Uh, they will be doing the pairings at the Skip City show, which is tomorrow. So by the time this airs, those pairings will have been determined, but they are not determined yet. But that sounds like a you know, fun tournament, a fun uh, list of outside talent, and I'm sure that they will have some great ice ribbon talent in that tournament as well. Diana is running on 8.30, just like 8.28, 8.29, 8.30. Yeah, it's a, a it's a on. it's a it's a big weekend, you know, ending the month of August with a bang. Yeah, so Diana's going to get in on the fun on eight thirty. Yeah, so they have. I mean, f- for Diana, I don't know that they could have a more stacked show uh, with three title matches. Starting out, Madeline versus Naname, sort of the opener. They're having a World Elizabeth Championship match, which will see the return of Kyoko. In a way, uh, they're having a WWWD title match, which will be Ayako Sato against Asuka. Uh, Sato and Asuka had a match a few shows ago for Diana that was super fun. I really enjoyed it, so I'm sure the title match will be even better. They're also having a WWWD tag title match between Kaori Ito and Tomoko Watanabe against the young team of Haruka Umasaki and Miyuki Takase. That sounds really good. Uh, excited to see the team of Umasaki and Takase. And finally, the big match that's happening, uh, Seri versus Nagisa Nozaki from Wave. That should be a super fun match to see. It's only going 10 minutes, uh, so it'll be quick. But I'm sure knowing Seri, it will be quick, hard-hitting, uh, and it will move very fast, but very fun to see Sari back and really looking forward to this Diana show, which should be very, very good. I cannot wait for that match in particular. Yeah, Nozaki is having, uh, I think, sort of an under-the-radar year in terms of how good she's been. Um, and obviously we know Sari, the year she had last year, so, so good. So that should be really a super fun match, super interesting to see Sari back after so many months of her sort of just sitting around on the shelf. So yes, that's, that's definitely the big attraction, even on a show with three, as I mentioned, three title matches, that really is going to be the big draw. And I'm sure no matter what happens, what the outcome is, uh, it will have people talking. And finally, as far as upcoming shows, Choco Pro on eight twenty eight. Yeah, so this will be uh, Lulu Pencil's first anniversary in wrestling. So Emmy Sakura has given her a match against Antonio Honda, trying to get her a win uh, in her first uh, singles win in her first year of wrestling. Uh, giving her Antonio Honda is a tall task, though, capable of uh, pulling shenanigans at any moment and pulling out a win. Uh, so we'll see, but it should be a fun show, as I mentioned, as Choco Pro sort of starts to build. Um, start the path to the climax of season three. All right. So on the next show, maybe some stardom will have happened, but we'll certainly have a better idea of what's going on. We will be talking about presumably the princess cup finals 
on the next show and, you know, hopefully previewing the uh, eventual title match between Yuka Sakazaki and the winner of that tournament. And then basically all those shows we just talked about, <laughs> we will we will mention in, in some form or fashion. So we're going to be busy these next two weeks, Taylor. Yeah, we get a little bit of a, a step on the brakes here for this show uh, with all the cancellations, but we'll be right back into it uh, next time we're together. And I mean, at least the good thing is almost all these shows are happening next weekend. So we'll have a whole week to watch, although I don't know when they're all airing, uh, but we'll have hopefully some time to to watch them all before our next episode. Yeah, and it'll be a chock full episode, and I'm sure we'll have plenty of great wrestling to talk about. Hmm. All right. Well, follow us on Twitter at JBombAudio. I'm at Aaron Like the Car. Taylor is at Tay Mambo. Subscribe to the show. Give us a five star rating and review. And you can also donate to the show if you so choose at redcircle.com slash shows slash jumping dash bomb dash audio. Anything else you want to talk about before we go, Taylor? No, I think we covered it all. Okay, well then, we will see you all in two weeks' time. Bye-bye.